Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. Hey, we're glad to have you guys here today. Today is a unique Sunday. If you didn't know this, you're going to get tacos. Did you know you're going to get tacos on the way out? You're going to get tacos on the way out. This is a hospitality Sunday. We're partnering with Kitchen One for One, if you want to put that graphic up. Unfortunately, our left side is, is dead. Uh, that's your right side. Your right side, my left side, is that, that one is dead. But uh, we're partnering with Kitchen One for One today. And uh, Kitchen One for One is really a hospitality ministry. They provide tacos and food. Uh, to people in the community, but really the goal of that is to create relationships and conversations, and we're partnering with them today. As a church, we want to engage our community well, because one of our values, if you'll go to the value slide, is invitation, that we want to bring the invitation of the gospel to our community. We want people to come as they are. As Jesus allowed us to come to him as we are, we want others in our community to feel welcomed by the gospel and to feel welcomed by our church. Now, the question is, how do you do that? I mean, sharing the gospel, sharing your faith, it's challenging. I think it's at times frightening. So what is an effective way to bring the message of Christ to our community? Because many people in our community may be resistant to the church or resistant to the gospel, resistant to Jesus. So what is a way that we can bring Christ to the community that allows them to hear the message and not allow the barriers of maybe church or whatever is around that to keep them from Christ? Well, here's something we, I think all of us recognize. Loneliness is a big issue in our culture. Loneliness is a tremendous, tremendous problem. Uh, there was a survey that was done by the Survey Center of American Life, and they said the percentage of Americans who say they have no close friends, can you pull that slide up, has quadrupled since 1990. So Americans who say they have no close friends has quadrupled since the 1990s. 54% of people report that they have no one who knows them well. 40% say they have no close friends or confidants. So loneliness is a, a major issue. And with loneliness, there's also a rise in mental health issues. And I imagine the reasons for that are pretty complex. But I think as believers, one aspect of why mental health issues are there and loneliness is there is that the secular story is not sufficient enough to meet our need for purpose and meaning in the world. Because the secular story just simply says that we are, we are animals. And if we're animals, then, then our desires, fulfilling our desires should be enough, right? And getting all that we need should be enough. But if we're created in the image of God, then we're created for something more. We're created for a relationship with God. We're created for intimacy and connection. And so is there a way to share the gospel that's not just simply a sales pitch that tries to get to a result, but a way of inviting people into relationship. Well, in the Gospel of Luke, what we see is that Jesus spends a lot of time around the table. More than any other Gospel, Luke emphasizes the table and eating and drinking as the center of Jesus' ministry. As he came to seek and to save the lost, 
His mission was to draw people towards the Father. But what we're going to find in, in Luke's gospel, and we're going to turn to Luke 19, if you guys want to turn there, we're going to find that one of Jesus' methods, essential methods to draw people to God was hospitality. And so we're going to come to a very familiar story. I imagine many of you have heard this story. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus is going to be coming into the city of Jericho, and Zacchaeus is waiting, anticipating to meet with Jesus. But he is the kind of person that many folks would think God would not desire. God would want nothing to do with Zacchaeus because of who he is and how he's lived, but he has that interest. The Holy Spirit is welling up within him, and he wants to meet Jesus. But what's going to happen when those two come together? We're going to read Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 1 through 10. You guys ready? All right. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse, in verse 1. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. And so he ran. He ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried. He came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, pray for me. Let me pray for you. Father, we set aside this space to hear your voice. So I pray that all distractions would flee. Pray this cold that's overwhelming my head and my ears would dissipate. We would sense we're in the presence of the Lord. We're with our brothers and sisters. And Father, you love to speak to us. And so would you guide us into truth and into your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you know this story well, the shock of the story may not hit you this morning. This is a shocking, offensive story. See, we have a song for Zacchaeus, and I think it downplays the narrative. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Go ahead. He climbed up in that for the, the Lord he wanted to see. And what that does is it makes this story so soft and comfortable, doesn't it? Oh, isn't that lovely? Jesus is with Zacchaeus, just like Jesus. Isn't that sweet? Loving on Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, this little short, roly-poly kind of guy, hanging out with Jesus, going to his house. It's just, oh, that's just a sweet picture. That's not what people see here. Look at verse 7. When Jesus meets with Zacchaeus, so imagine you're in the crowd, right? It's been raining all night. You know Jesus is coming. 
It's like Black Friday, I guess. And you're out on the streets and you're waiting. Jesus is coming by and you've been there all night and you're anticipating being with him. Instead of Jesus coming to you or let's say someone like you, Jesus is approaching this guy, a tax collector. And notice what happens in verse 7. And when they saw it, they see Jesus approaching Zacchaeus. They grumbled. Ah, are you serious? Disgusting. He has gone to be the guest of a man. Do you notice the language? Who is a, a sinner. Aren't we all sinners? Yeah, but not like Zacchaeus. We all have that person, right? Listen, I'm a sinner, but not like this guy. I mean, I need the grace of God. Jesus had to die for me, but he, he really would have to die for this guy. See, sinner was a category in the New Testament. The religious leaders created this term sinner as a category to catch a certain kind of people. And it was to catch a certain kind of people who were keeping the Messiah from coming. See, the people believed the Messiah was going to come, someone like Jesus, which Jesus is the Messiah, but they didn't recognize him. And so the religious leaders knew that the Messiah was going to come, and the reason the Messiah hasn't come, and the reason there was oppression from the Romans is because Zacchaeus is here, and he's ruining our country. And if we just got rid of the Zacchaeus in our life, and we could get them out of the country, get them out of control, then everything will be good. The Messiah will come, and we'll no longer experience oppression and darkness. There was a category of people that included tax collectors. It included sex workers. It included lepers. It included the outcast. And these were the people who were drawing everything down. Now, do we do that today? I think we do. I think I do. I think back to 9-11. Go back, uh, what is that, 22 years now. On 9-11, I heard a lot of Christian leaders say, The reason this has happened is judgment on our country because of blank. Let me say that's arrogant and foolish. First of all, are you in the mind of God that you know what's happening? Can we check ourselves on that for just a moment? And then second, why did the cross of Christ exist? Why did Jesus come to take our punishment upon him? But see, what we tend to do is we classify a group of people and we say, these are the rotten people. These are the people that God could not love, God could not redeem. They are the real kind of sinners. You guys with me on that? Do you feel the weight of that? And Jesus pursued people like that. He didn't only pursue them and give them space. Hey, you can come into the room, but kind of sit in the back, right? No, I want to eat with you. I want to share wine and a meal with you. I want to sit across the table. I want to look you in the eye. I want to talk to you. And I want to say, tell me about your life. Zacchaeus, what is it like to be you? Because who is Zacchaeus? I mean, he is a rotten oppressor. And he's not just a tax collector. He's in charge of all the rotten oppressors. Because he served the Roman government. But he's a Jew. And so he's oppressing his own people. And here's what tax collectors would do. If Rome was taxing you at 60%, Zacchaeus would go, okay, I need to make some money, so let's tax you at 67%. And I'm going to take the 7% for myself. And if you want to complain, listen, I've got a Roman legion, 
and we will show up at your door, and if you don't pay your taxes, we're going to take everything you have. Isn't that lovely? That's Zacchaeus. This is the kind of person that Jesus shows hospitality towards. Would we be okay with that? I think if I witnessed an event like that today, I think I'd question who Jesus is. I'd question his morality, right? I mean, if you go eat with people like that, then you must accept their behavior. Don't we tend to think that? Because if you get around people like that, then, then you must be okay with that. But Jesus was willing to draw near. He was willing to be seen by others and accused by others and called names, names by others because the mission of God is that important. And he loved Zacchaeus that much. Who would show hospitality to people like that? How about our God? This is the character of our God. And notice in verse 10, there's a really important phrase there. It says, the Son of Man, he came to seek and to save the lost. Now, if you're listening to the Gospel of Luke, often the Gospels were read out loud in front of a church. And that statement, the Son of Man came, is twice in Luke's Gospel. It's the second time here in Luke 19, but if you rewind back to chapter 7, you'll find that the statement, the Son of Man came, is also embedded within a story of hospitality. We see in chapter 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, but if you go back to chapter 7, you find that Jesus in chapter 7 is also experiencing this time hospitality. He goes to the house of Simon the Pharisee, and does Simon the Pharisee, this high-ranking official, does he show Jesus hospitality? No. Simon doesn't greet him and kiss him, which is the custom. Simon doesn't have a servant come and wash his feet. Simon doesn't anoint him because people stink. Back then, if you're going to eat, you want a little anointing to take some of, the, some of the stink off. He doesn't anoint him. Who does? Do you, remember, do you know the story? Who shows up and walks into Simon's house, kisses Jesus, anoints him, washes his feet? A prostitute. A sinner. Someone that does not deserve to be near God. And listen to how Jesus evaluates the way that people see him and see John the Baptist. Here we are, Luke chapter 7, verse 33. For John the Baptist has come, and he ate no bread. Notice, he didn't drink any wine, and yet you guys said he had a demon. So John the Baptist came, and he wasn't eating and drinking. He was a real simple guy. And yet they said he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. When you show hospitality to the wrong people, people around you will accuse you, won't they? They'll think things about you. Jesus earned that reputation, not because he was a glutton, and not because he drank too much, but because he loved, he loved too much. Jesus loved people into the kingdom one meal at a time. Have you noticed that? Now, to the religious leaders, to the people, to the crowds, he would preach, and preaching is important. But Jesus would also draw people in, and over a meal, the gospel would be communicated by word, but also by hospitality, vulnerability, and action. If seeking and saving the lost was Jesus' mission, then I'd suggest that hospitality was an essential part of his method. And so what is hospitality? 
Because I think there's a big difference between hospitality and what we typically think of as just entertaining someone. So what's hospitality? I want to start with the Greek word, because I think it's helpful to understand that the nature of the words in the New Testament, they unpack the meaning of what that term is. And this is the, if you can pull that up, the Greek word for hospitality. And it's philozenos. Philozenos. Now, you know Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. Well, philo means love. Xenos means stranger. Hospitality is to love the stranger. It's to love the other. It's to love someone who is different from me, who is separated from me, who is far from me. Why? Because that's our relationship to God, isn't it? I was a stranger to God. I mean, there's a huge difference between me and God. There is a very narrow difference between me and any other person on the earth. Now, we see that gap as wide, don't we? But the gap between us and God is so much wider that the gap between us is very narrow. God shows hospitality towards us. He draws close to us, though we are the stranger, we are the enemy, we are the other. And see, we are to carry out God's work into the world. We're to show up in the world the way that Jesus showed up in the world. 1 John 2.6 says that. 1 John 2.6. It says, whoever abides in him, meaning Jesus... Whoever's with Jesus ought to walk, notice, the same way. How are we to show up? The same way Jesus showed up in the world. And so throughout the New Testament, we see this call to hospitality. Here, Romans chapter 12. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Who's hospitality for? For people in the church, maybe it could be, but it's to reach out to the other. It's love for the stranger. Uh, First Peter says the same thing. And I like this one because I usually show hospitality with a little bit of grumbling. And he reminds me. Show hospitality to one another. Jason, don't grumble. Don't grumble they're going to mess up your stuff. Because they're going to mess up your stuff. You know, they, their kids may come over and they may have dirty feet and they may walk all over your couch. But remember, you're loving the other. You're showing what God has done. There is sacrifice that sometimes needs to take place. Hebrews, this blows my mind. I don't even know what this verse means, but I'm going to read it. Hebrews 13, 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect showing hospitality and notice to strangers. Now, that's kind of frightening for us, isn't it? But they showed hospitality to people they did not know, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I I have no idea what that means, but I'm going to trust it. Hospitality is vital. And then when you get to the character qualities of leaders within the church in 1 Timothy and in Titus. You know one of the primary, primary, what's the word? Anyways, hospitality. Hospitality, because there is a nature to leaders that when we show hospitalities to those who are outside the church, it's a reflection of the way we're supposed to lead inside the church. Hospitality is absolutely an essential way of life. Let me give you a definition from Rosaria Butterfield. Do you know that name? Does anyone know Rosaria Butterfield? Some of you might. You need to look her up and you need to hear her testimony. She came to faith through radical, radical, ordinary hospitality. And I want to share her definition. Here's how she describes hospitality. She says, radical, ordinary hospitality. Those who live... To see strangers as neighbors. 
Neighbors is the family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eye of every human being on earth. That is so beautiful. Listen to those words again. Hospitality is seeing a stranger as a neighbor and a neighbor as already belonging to the family of God. Now, she says that because that's how she was treated. She was brought into the home of a believer and loved as if she knew God herself, loved as a daughter, as a part of the family of God. They did not see labels on her. They did not put barriers on her. They simply sat across the table and said, I want to know you. I'm not here to get to a sales pitch. I simply want to hear your story. Are we willing to take strangers and move them into a new category called neighbors? And then are we willing to take the people around us and start treating them as if they're a part of the church before they're ever a part of the church? Because that's how Jesus treated you. Before you ever repented and believed, was he kind? Was he generous? Was he slow to anger, abounding steadfast love? Absolutely, that's the nature of the gospel. He comes to us. He doesn't expect us to come to him. And then we respond to his kindness. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Tim Chester in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says this. If you routinely share meals and you have a passion for Jesus, then you will be doing mission. It's not that meals save people. People are saved through the gospel message. But meals will create a natural opportunity to share a message that in a context that resonates powerfully with what you're saying. Do you hear what he's saying? Hospitality in a meal, it resonates because there's vulnerability. There's connection and relation. You're not, it's not a sales pitch. I, I want you to believe this, but I want to be with you. I want to share life with you. Henry Nouwen, in his book, Reaching Out, says this of hospitality. Hospitality, therefore, means primarily the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, so listen to this, but offer them a space where change can take place. It's not to bring men or women over to our side we all want to do that, right? That's, that's social media. Get on my side. Here's my argument. It's not about getting them on, their si- on your side, but to offer the freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. The freedom of what? Relationship. You can know me despite my labels, my titles. It's offering a space where a person can be themselves and can change. Here's how Jesus described hospitality in Luke 14. And he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, which he assumes we're going to do that, so when you throw a banquet or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors because they may invite you in return unless you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the stranger, the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That is the nature of hospitality. Here's what we're going to call, hopefully, our church to. And we want to capture it with this phrase, one meal a month. One, just one, meal a month. 
Is it possible for us as a church to show hospitality one meal a month? That we do something that we ordinarily do, which is eat. I think everybody here has a meal. You probably have about 21. Some of us have more a week. Could we take one space and offer hospitality to someone who is different from us? Someone who is is other from us. So what I want to do is just pause for a moment. I don't know if you noticed there were cards on your seat and you probably kind of tossed them around and put them someplace because you're like, why is this card in my seat? This is my seat. It's in the way. We want to encourage you to do this. Um, For some of you right now, there is the name of a person you know God has put on your heart. There is no question. You have had this person, this neighbor on your heart. Uh, Would you write that name down? Or maybe if you're willing to pray for a moment and just say, Lord, if there's someone I need to be connected with, someone I can show hospitality to, who would that person be? Now, if some of you are willing to, if you would write that name down and put it in the envelope, we want to mail that back to you, but we don't know who you are, so you're going to have to put your address on it. You with me on that? Because if you give us the name and you don't write down your address, we're not that good. We, we can't figure that out. That's going to be really tough for us, but we want to pray over those cards. And then we want to send them back. And then in about three or four weeks, we want to do a testimony up here. Not you. You don't have to come up. It's okay. I'm not going to invite you up. But we want to remind you throughout this year of the commitment we're making to have one meal a month. Would you be willing to do that? Just simply to pray. And and listen, if you're right now and you're like, I'm overwhelmed. My life's a mess. I need Jesus. Hey, that's okay. We want to love you and show hospitality to you. And if that's where you are, hey, no big deal. We want to walk with you in that. So that's the step we want to take. And we want to partner with Kitchen One for One in this process. Because if you can put up that graphic, if you guys want to find out more about the ministry of Kitchen One for One, you can text TACOS to the number on your screen. It's like an infomercial. I don't know. I feel like I'm an infomercial. You can text TACOS to 55498. And what they'll do is they'll get you on a list and reach out to you. Because we need people in our community. We partner with them. We pay for the tacos. They go to Idaho Springs. They go down the hill. And what we need you to do is eat tacos. Who here cannot eat tacos? Anybody? Okay, maybe um, we have vegetarian. It's okay. So some of you are wondering, I can't eat tacos. What we want you to do is eat a taco and talk to somebody. Be hospitable because people come out, but we are the opportunity to connect the tacos to Jesus and simply listen to their story and be with them. Can you guys, can you do that? I think we can. And it's one step that we can take as a community to move out of ourselves and into the community. I want to just real quickly show you this, this video. It's a testimony of Sharon Wood. She's a part of Kitchen One for One. She's also a part of our own community. And she's sharing the impact that service and being a part of this ministry has had on her life. Will you guys, will you bring up that video? Hi, everyone. I'm here with Sharon Wood, and she's going to share with us a little bit today about serving and what it means to her. So I look at it as a way of sort of rounding out my life, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you're here in a place like Evergreen, you get one perspective on life. But if you're willing to venture out into areas of need, you learn a lot more about life as a community, life as, you know, children of God, and um, you get a different perspective on your life. You know, um, it's easy to get into comparison in a place like this. 
You know, is my house big enough? Is my car nice enough? Well, you know what? I have a warm bed and a roof over my head and I don't question where my next meal is coming from and that's all I need. And so that's, that's what it means to me. Thank you, Sharon. So here's what I want to do. I want to just leave you with four encouragements. You guys ready? Just four encouragements. The call to hospitality, guys, is really the call to be ordinary. It's to take what we're already doing. I don't want to add anything to your schedule. You guys are busy. I know. Life is incredibly busy. But we're taking what is ordinary, eating a meal, and we're simply saying, how can I use my eating of a meal for the kingdom of God? How can I introduce others to Christ through simply being present with them? That's first. Second, hospitality. And hear me, guys. Can you pull up those, those points? They're there, if you don't mind pulling them up. Second, hospitality is about service, not performance. I need to hear that. It's okay if the bathroom's a little dirty. The mission of God is more important than how people see us, right? And, and all of us get that way. I think some of us more than others, and we love you and we have grace for you. We want everything to be perfect. But what if perfection is keeping us from loving and connecting with others? And so maybe what hospitality is about is just serving people. And some of you, like, maybe you can't cook. Fine. Papa Murphy's cooks, and you put it in your oven. And we've got McDonald's. If that's where you go, that's cool. That's, that's fine as well. Just provide a space. Make it simple to step into that space. We simply want to serve others. And then third... Be human. Be yourself. What would you, if you went to somebody's house, how would you feel loved? Jesus says we're supposed to love others as we love ourselves. What would you want? Simply give that to them. Find out about their story. Ask them about what is it like to be you? What's life like? What are your challenges? And then fourth and finally, and this is, so vital and important. Hospitality flows out of the hospitality that Jesus has shown us. The hospitality we share with others is not something we generate. It's not something we create. It's something we celebrate because we've received the hospitality of Jesus towards us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were enemies of God, he pursued us. And in Romans 15, 7, we find these words. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. How has Jesus welcomed us? Are we willing to give the same invitation to people who are different from us? If you live in the narrative of our culture, we won't do this. Narrative of our culture is labels, Division, sinners. The narrative of the gospel is welcome, invitation, sacrifice. My table is available to you because God welcomed me to his table. And he didn't expect me to change before I got there, but instead, through relationship with him, he changed me. Through his death and resurrection, I came alive to God. We simply want to offer to others what Jesus has graciously and kindly offered us. And this morning, we're gonna represent that by celebrating communion together. Communion is the table, guys. Do you realize that? When did Jesus share communion? After a meal. 
It was after a meal. The gospel came. It was after they fellowshiped together, after the questions were asked, after the kisses and the hugs, after the feet were cleaned and the head was anointed because the guy was a little stinky, and they sat down together, and they had a meal, and they looked at each other. How are the kids? What's going on in life? What is work life? What is life like? And then after that, Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you so that you might be introduced into the welcome of the Father. If you didn't grab the communion elements when you came in, no worry, because a lot of people around you didn't grab them either because they, they kind of forgot. And so that's okay. If you guys want to get up and grab the elements, I want to encourage you to do that. They're available up front, and they're also available in the back. I don't want you to miss this moment to share in what Christ has given us. And we're going to hold these elements together and after a time of prayer, we're going to receive what Christ has given. And maybe in that time, could you ask the Father, who do I need to show hospitality to? And can I say for someone here, maybe you're the one that needs to receive that, that you need to receive the hospitality of Jesus. Maybe you feel like the outcast or the sinner. Would you just simply today receive the love that comes from God the Father? He looks at you. He doesn't see your behavior. He doesn't see the labels. He sees someone created in the image of God and that is worthy of the death of his son. Would you receive that gift of salvation? And will we trust in the Father's care for us? Let's, let's spend some time in prayer. Father, so often my voice becomes the voice of the accuser. The voice that loves to label. The voice that loves to categorize. This is not of the kingdom of God. It's of the kingdom of darkness. And so, Father, we repent. Our world puts people into categories so that we can fear, slander, we can avoid. But Father, you saw us as human beings created in the image of God, needing purpose, love, meaning, needing forgiveness, redemption, and salvation. So Father, free us from the narrative of this world and allow us to walk in the truth of the gospel that while we were enemies of God, you sent your son to welcome us through forgiveness and repentance and your kingdom. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love and grace. Help us to share that with others. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He said, take and eat for this is my body broken for you. Receive this now in remembrance of him. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. 
So this cup, it represents the new covenant, the new relationship that is established through my blood. As often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Please stand with me. If you know you're here this morning and you're in need of prayer, some of you may simply need to know the love of being welcomed. I want to invite our prayer team. Guys, would you come up, come up, um, come forward? And if, if that's where you are, would you uh, have the boldness to receive that and just simply to invite them to pray for you? You can do that now or you can do that after the service as we go and enjoy some tacos. It's good to have you guys here. <laughs>